0: A jewel in the desert.
1: A round city full of merchants, rulers and scholars.
0: The great minds of the Abbasid Empire.
1: This is Figures of Baghdad. Hello fellow travellers, welcome to Figures of Baghdad. I'm Dina.
0: And I'm Ali.
1: Ali, we've visited some interesting scientists and scholars the past few episodes. I'm ready to change it up.
0: Ah, I feel you. Let's hang out with one of the most interesting people of this time period and probably one of my favorite, Arib al-Mu'maniyya.
1: Finally, let's talk about the women. We've already got a glimpse of some of the interesting women of this era in the last season. We talked about brilliant queens like Khayzuran and Zubaydah, politically savvy with rich lives.
0: And Arib lives up to that as well. Hers is an interesting tale and one that is linked to a story we've already looked at, the fall of the Barmakids.
1: Oh, I remember them. The Barmakids were a powerful family of viziers who were in charge of the politics of the court. The Abbasids relied on their expertise until there was a falling out with Harun al-Rashid and they were stripped of their power.
0: Right, and with the war of the two brothers, the power of the Barmakids came to an end. But while their power was gone, it was not the end of their story. Supposedly, Arib was the daughter of one of the Barmakids who had been stolen away in the dead of the night from the family, and so survived the fall of her house.
1: The last survivor of a great house. What happened to her, Ali?
0: Supposedly, she was sold into slavery and lived the early portion of her life as an enslaved woman, For all the achievements of the Abbasids, this was still a slave society. Very much like the empires that came before them, like the Persians and the Romans.
1: Okay, let's talk a little bit about this so we can understand Arib's life a bit better. How was the life of a slave like in this time period?
0: The life of a slave was hard. They had little to no freedom and were sold to the wealthy. They often occupied the lowest rung of society, though not always, as some could become advisors and members of the royal court. Most slaves were taken into captivity during war or conquest, and some were enslaved on a contractual basis, kind of like indentured servitude. In either case, they were stripped of their freedom and put into mostly domestic labor. It was a hard life and an unjust one.
1: Tell me a bit more about the jobs that slaves did because you just said that some of them could be found in the royal court.
0: Yeah, I mean, some were soldiers who occupied a position similar to mercenaries. They received booty and a stipend, in turn, for fighting.
1: When you say booty, you mean treasure.
0: We mean treasure. Okay. yes, that booty. <laughs> Most were domestic servants in the household. They, too, were kind of paid a small amount. And others were in the royal court as advisors, counselors, and even some entertainers.
1: So they could be advisors, not just doing domestic work in the palace.
0: Yeah, because they were enslaved, they were part of society, not just outside of it. It was a social class that that... That meant that they could move up in the social ranks. Certain enslaved people, while still not free, held a lot of power. Eventually some of them, like the Mamluks, would found their own dynasty and rule over places like Egypt for centuries. But those were exceptions on the whole because slaves had little to no freedom.
1: Okay, I'm trying to understand this a little more. How could a slave have power if they weren't free? You have a system in place that enslaves people, but some of those same people can become rulers. I don't get it.
0: Yeah, I think it's partly because the enslaved were sometimes treated as the most trusted members of society. Unlike political figures, a ruler could rely on those that were directly under his command and under his pay. So there was a trade-off. You lost your freedom, but you gained access to the caliph or ruler. But it's not like you had much choice either.
1: So that's important to understand, Ariba, I'm guessing, because she starts off as a daughter of a noble household and then is sold into slavery. So it's a big change in her situation, the loss of her freedom and the challenges of a life as a slave. You usually hear the reverse.
0: Yeah, her origins are a bit murky at best. And we don't actually know if she was sold into slavery or born into it. But either way, large parts of her life were enslaved. She was part of those entertainers who were enslaved. Oh. She lived from 798 to 1890, so a pretty long life. And at some point, she catches the eye of Al-Amin, the Caliph who was particularly interested in poetry. And Arib was well-trained in poetry.
1: Al-Amin was one of the Caliphs who fought in the War of the Two brothers the loser of the two (laughs)
0: yeah i mean that's fair he did lose the war pretty spectacularly
1: so she was caught up in the civil war what happened to her afterwards
0: once al-ma'mun wins he ends up buying her and it's possible she becomes his concubine or his lover
1: We know how important poetry was to the Abbasids and in Islamic culture, so being a poet was very important. I'm thinking this is why she became a favourite of the Caliphs?
0: I think so too. If the Barmakid connection is true, then she may have been trained by Muharik, who was already the most famous poet and musician of the time. Ari would go on in her own right to become the most famous, especially with the Oud. <music>
1: We have ouds in Egypt. They're this stringed instrument with a small neck and a roundish body. They have a beautiful sound. I could honestly just sit there for hours and listen to someone play the oud.
0: Oh, yeah. And along with the lute, the oud is really the predecessor to the guitar, which, surprisingly enough, comes from the Arabic kitara. So that's your fun fact of the day.
1: I love a fun fact. I also like the idea that the oud, which we know today, would have been played in the streets and courts of medieval Baghdad. That's a really nice thing to think about because they make such beautiful music. I would have loved to sit there and listen to some of the music from this moment in history, because Arab and North African music is a huge passion of mine.
0: Oh, me too. And Arib was said to be the best of them. She once held a competition between her and her students versus a rival, a younger poet and musician, Sharia.
1: Ah, oh, like a music competition, kind of like The Voice, medieval Baghdad style.
0: <laughs> yes, can you imagine? All the drama too. This competition actually took place in Samarra. The city was divided into two teams, hashtag team Arib and hashtag team Sharia. And each side used applause to show their support. They took turns with like cutting verses and clever lyrics, each side rising in thunderous applause, like almost like a rap battle. Who won? The legend herself, Arib.
1: Okay, I liked her before, but now I'm loving her even more. What's not to like about a woman who can kick ass with music and poetry?
0: I mean, she impresses Khalif after Khalif, from Al Amin to Al Ma'mun. Al Ma'mun's successor and younger brother, in fact, Al Mutasim, will grant her manumission, letting her go free.
1: From an enslaved woman to a free woman, she used her wits to work her way up Abbasid society until she's free.
0: And she makes the absolute most of it. She goes on to earn a reputation not only as the favourite singer and poet of the Caliphs, but as a savvy businesswoman.
1: And we know from our previous episodes and previous discussions that women could participate in trade and own their own wealth in this time period.
0: She becomes an incredibly wealthy woman, actually.
1: The arc of her life is fascinating, though, because I'm trying to think of a more compelling life to go from enslaved, where you're your freedom stripped to becoming a powerful and wealthy free woman.
0: I mean, it speaks to the tenacity and willpower, but also the complexities of Abbasid society.
1: I just really want her to have a happy ending at this point in time. She has been through too much and I'm rooting for her.
0: Your wish comes true. She ends up taking on many, many lovers over time and several powerful people, including the Khalifs are among her patrons and some are even her lovers. She goes on to live to the ripe old age, roughly around over 90 years.
1: Wow, what a full and rich life. She really lived by her wits and her ability in poetry and music helped her ascend to new heights.
0: Exactly. In a time where literacy was prized and learning was valued, she was intelligent, educated, literate, a lyrical genius, skilled in chess, calligraphy and poetry. It's no wonder she became a medieval rock star. And like a rock star, she was also pretty controversial.
1: A little bit of controversy makes life worth living though, Ali, right?
0: So according to Matthew Gordon, once during the time that she was enslaved, she ran away from her master to be with her lover, Ibn Hamid. So her master takes the matter to the Khalif, where Ibn Hamid, who's brought before them, refuses to reveal where Arib is. So the Khalif plans to have him flogged. But right before that punishment, Arib shows up in dramatic fashion and shouts, I am Arib. If I am a slave, then he should sell me. But if I am free, then he has no claim on me this he being her master, of course, she in fact forces the matter to court. On top of all that, her poetry and music was really, really raunchy, and she even bragged about sleeping with something like seven to eight caliphs during her lifetime and spurning many others.
1: That must not have gone down well.
0: (laughs) She's all over the place.
1: She is. She's so chaotic. But at the same time, she's fighting for her freedom in court, and even the caliphs were her groupies, and I think that's pretty cool. I can see why they were obsessed with her. It's hard not to be obsessed with a woman like this. Ali, we have to do proper justice, though. Can you read me some of her poetry, please?
0: All right. Why don't we take turns? I'll read one from Uthari's translation. To you, your treachery is a virtue. You have many faces and ten tongues. I am surprised my heart still clings to you in spite of what you put me through.
1: That's quite deep. I quite like this one translated by Matthew Caswell. As for the lover, he went away. In spite of and against my will, I erred in being separated from one for whom I have found no substitute because of his absence from my sight.
0: That's so good. So there's this one poem by Arib that's one of my favorites because it goes right to what we're all experiencing, even in today's world. And it's about a cold and distant lover. And she talks about how she apologized, but he didn't accept the apology and how her body aches for him in a bad way. Dino. why don't you read the Arabic for us?
1: Oh, straight
0: to my heart. I'm telling you, a rock star.
1: I know, Ali. And I think we can all relate to heartbreak, but... They just don't do poetry quite like that anymore. You know what, Ali? Arib is definitely my favourite so far. Her life is so interesting and complex, from an enslaved woman to a wealthy and powerful woman. She freed herself and with her wit and poetry, winning music battles and winning the hearts of the caliphs. I'm looking forward to meeting more historical figures, but good luck, Ali, finding someone who impresses me more than Arib. Thank you all for coming along. I'm Dina.
0: And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to the Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Figures of Baghdad. See you next time, fellow travellers.